Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Christian Franz Hansen. Christian works at the Business Partnering Institute, where he works with clients, and most of them are in finance, to improve the strength of their business relationships. Now, I know from our previous conversation that procurement listeners will be pleasantly surprised how many things procurement and finance have in common and how much Christian is going to teach us about that today. So, hi, Christian. Thank you so much for being here with me on the podcast. Thank you, Kelly. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I shared a little bit about where you work, high level, what the Institute does, uh, but what else does it make sense for people to know about your professional background? I think, you know, in essence, I'm a very curious nerd who has been uh, working in the... uh, in the in the field between data and decision making for plus 10 years now in management consulting and uh, before that in in finance so i'm really curious to to find ways to use my professional expertise to find insights in data but use that to actually change decisions and make better decisions in the mm-hmm. businesses that i'm part of so so i think that's that's my passion well, you're in good company because we hadn't talked about this previously, but I'm an enthusiastic geek. So curious nerd plus enthusiastic geek hopefully leads to interesting conversation. Um, so let's let's start, I don't know, with some people stuff, right? Because procurement finance at the end of the day, it's it's all people stuff. Why do you think it's so hard for teams like, whether it's finance, procurement, ops, human resources... Everybody works for the same company, but they find it a challenge to work collaboratively. Why do you think that is? I think that's a really good question and, and something we we very often encounter. I see companies globally as a management consultant, and it's it's something that that is just whenever you get into a company, you'll find these silos and, and people having collaboration issues. So it's 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 a really great question. Why is that? And in my opinion, you know, there is something about company size, obviously, that as soon as you reach a certain size of a company, you, you start to see these silos because people get so focused on doing the thing that they're put in place to do and forget about the holistic picture of the organization. But so, so that's one part. Another thing is, you know, the, the professional expertise and the jargon that follows often limits us in how we can collaborate with others. I don't know if you've spoken to any doctors or lawyers recently, but they have their own jargon as well, right? Um, oh, yes. And I, I, I have a lot of lawyers and, and doctors in, and amongst my friends that I'm saying this with, with lots of love, but, but they do tend to speak in a certain way and focus on, on certain, certain things. And I think it's a little bit the same for me in finance and maybe for you guys in procurement that, that we have this you know, jargon and way of thinking of things that, that sometimes limits us because we, we tend to not see the full picture or see it the way that, that other parts of the business 
might see things. So I think that that uh, that is sometimes one of the um, the things that makes it difficult to really collaborate effectively. Yeah, no, I agree with you that that language and terminology can certainly be a gating factor. One of the things that's it's it's sad but ironic about all of these partnership challenges we have is that nearly everyone functionally lists that at the top of their list of objectives. Right? They say, "Oh no, I want to partner more effectively. I want to collaborate more often." Do you think part of the problem could be that there are too few good examples held up for the rest of us to emulate? Like we sort of don't know what a good internal business partnership looks like, do we? I I, I do I do agree that uh, it's it's rare it's rare that we see that and people tend to do what they're good at in their functional area of expertise. So if you're in procurement, you focus on on you basically getting the best deal, if you will, in some cases. And, and if you're in finance, you, you might focus on closing the books and getting the numbers right. And if you stay too long with other like-minded people doing just that, you tend to, you tend to uh, lose the focus on, on actually working collaboratively with, with business stakeholders. And, and that's, just, that's really a shame, I believe. So, um, so I think, but, but I do believe that there are quite a lot of, of good examples in all companies. It's just, it's not uh, it's not everybody who's equally good at it, but we all know someone who has this fantastic ability to create strong relationships across functions, and and everybody knows this person, and they're uh, uh, liked and and respected for their insights, right? So I I do I do definitely think it's possible, and I think it's also something we can teach and become better at. Yeah. Now, one of the things, and, and I'll speak for procurement here, and then I'll be interested to get your point of view after years of working with finance. Um, we know what people say about us behind our backs, first of all, right? We know what everybody thinks of procurement. And we've been making a very strong effort to move beyond sort of this old command and control way of being seen and instead to truly become trusted advisors. Have you seen anything or learned anything or heard anything in your time working with finance that might help us make that transition from, you know, governance driven to more value oriented in terms of how others see us? That's that's a classical uh, issue in, in, in finance as well, that uh, that you might be seen as command and control. We might be seen as uh, the bean counters or whatever terminology you want to use. So in, in finance, we often talk about you know, going from being counter to business partner or from, in some cases, from police to partner. So so from that controlling aspect to the more partnering aspect where it's about enabling the business rather than controlling it. And if I were to list, uh, let's say, four things that I could come up with right here on in terms of what might help that transition is, then it's like the first one would be, it's a mindset kind of thing that if we see ourselves in the function as, as, uh, as you say, command or control, then that's what we'll be. If we change our mindset and start thinking of the business as our customers or if you will, internal customers, then we start thinking about how can we help? How, what questions would I need to ask in order to help this uh, business stakeholder make better decisions? So I think, so, I think a lot of it comes down to changing our mindset, but, but obviously that's not all. We also need to have the second thing in place, which is the foundation in the uh, in our part of the organization, I often see finance professionals who are 
stuck with extreme amounts of transactional work and overloaded with with tasks and if you have if you have no free time whatsoever it's surely impossible to become a good business partner and focus on everybody else's need right so we need to figure out a way to structure the organization in our part of uh, of whatever organization we're in in a way that allows for good business partnering so and and that's that's obviously uh, then obviously on top of that i would i would suggest as maybe a third point that yeah. that training skills on top of our uh, professional expertise is something we do a lot we do a lot of business partnering academies with uh, large international clients where we literally train finance people in going from just being good at excel to being uh, good at at other categories of of capabilities as well including business skills understanding the value chain, maybe some technical skills, problem solving, uh, as an example, also partnering skills and and even leadership skills, even mm-hmm. self leadership. Uh, so so how do we we make time to do the right thing, stuff like that. So so I think there is a lot there are a lot of things we can do to to make that transition. You know, I'm interested to actually get a little bit more detail on one of the things that you offered up. Can you give me a few examples just so that we know what you mean? What are leadership and partnering skills? Like, what are some examples of the things that would fall into those buckets? That's a that's another good question. We've uh, de- we've created a full blown business partnering uh, capability model for finance professionals. So it's literally twelve capability areas that you build on top of your finance expertise to become a good business partner. And it's quite a diverse uh, capability model. So so we don't expect everybody to be good at all, but but everybody can improve in, in some of the areas. So in terms of partnering, uh, as an example, we do train uh, some, something as simple as how do you create trusted partnerships with the business? So what does trust mean in that, uh, in that regard? So uh, David Meister has this trust equation that says that, that your trustworthiness is, is a matter of how credibility, reliable you, and reliable you are, uh, and also the intimacy you create in your relation. And then he, he has divided, uh, divides those three factors with self-interest or self-orientation. So it's, it's effectively four different elements in a trust equation and finance people love equations. So the so working, <laughs> so, <to> work. <laughs> exactly. so, so, um, so actually like taking the time to reflect on how do I build trust in the relationships that I have with my business stakeholder to make sure that they feel safe enough to invite me into the right fora or uh, the right uh, the right discussions in order to 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 actually allow me to influence the decision making. That would be an example of something we we would actually uh, teach finance professionals. Now let's stay with this idea of trust because this is another one of those things that I think a lot of procurement teams struggle with. So. It's sort of like we're moving enough in the direction of being good business partners and collaborating and moving beyond, you know, savings at all costs. And so we're trying to build that trust. But then the time comes where we are reminded that part of our role is still creating accountability and enforcing process because there are risk implications of us not doing that. And it feels, especially if a procurement organization is relatively new on this journey towards trust-based partnerships, it feels like you have to make the pendulum swing back in the other direction to then go back and do compliance and accountability and governance. 
what advice do you have to offer about how teams can somehow sort of have one foot uh, in each set of objectives? And, you know, you can't just completely be everybody's friend, but you also can't just, as you had said, be sort of the spend police. How do we balance those two effectively? I think that's really, uh, you know, hitting the nail on, on, on this issue because it's, that is the the issue you have when you try to do this. If you want to be a partner, it's not about us and them. It's about the two of us being together in this together somehow. And so, so balancing the role of being the controller and the enabler or the, um, a little bit like, like what you're saying here, that's what finance struggles with as well. Um, so I think it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a problem. I think you can do this if you have, if you have integrity and you're honest about your role and make it clear that you're, you're not just here to be a friend. You're here to actually help them make better decisions. That sometimes entails you controlling or, or making sure they follow uh, some, some, some directions or that they are compliant. But it also means that you need to do something else than just tell them to be compliant. You need to also bring positive surprises. You need to make their lives easier as well. So you need to find a way to balance the two where you, on one hand, do what you need to do in order to control and and make sure things are compliant. But on the other hand, you also need to find opportunities to make their lives easier by providing relevant and timely insights and, and, and making, uh, making it easier for the business to do the right thing at the right time. So, so you really need to find ways to also bring those positive surprises so it doesn't just become one-sided, if you will. And I, I see too many, both procurement and finance people, who are, who are a little bit stuck in that role of always being the annoying person who, who tells the business <laughs> to, to do something differently or follow the rules in, in and, and rarely do they come with recommendations on how things could be changed and, and make their lives easier, right? And then in the end, nobody wants to invite you <laughs> to, to take part in the decision-making if you're, if you're always just the annoying person who, who talks about compliance, right? Well, I like this idea of positive surprises because especially over the last few years, all the surprises have been bad. Like, oh, sorry, your ship is stuck or oh, sorry, that you know, suppliers having financial trouble or that report that you thought wasn't due until next month is now due next week or tomorrow. Um, You know, a positive surprise can be like, hey, we've automated this thing so that now it's faster, it's quicker, you have direct visibility. It doesn't seem like there are quite enough positive surprises, but if we can find positive surprises to offer, we should certainly emphasize rolling those out and celebrating them, shouldn't we? Yeah, definitely. And and I think what it actually comes down to in some cases is that you have to be more proactive than reactive, right? So, so in finance, we, we tend to look at what already happened. We look at the numbers and tell what, what was the variance last month, something that already occurred, right? And the business st- stakeholders that we service, they're eager to know what's happening tomorrow. They need projections. They need uh, advice on how to go forward, right? So when we when we put ourselves in, in, in their shoes and start looking forward and then we start becoming proactive and then it's much easier to bring positive surprises because then you have the same point of view as the business stakeholder you support. Uh, and then you're not just a person who, who tells them what already happened, but but you're actually someone who who can who can bring insights about what to do tomorrow instead, right? 
And I think that might be a little bit the same in, in procurement though. So if you can somehow foresee what, what the business will need going ahead rather than just, uh, you know, reacting to their uh, demands when they are already there, then I think that really makes it easier to come up with such positive surprises, if you will. Absolutely. Now, one more question that I want to ask you on this topic, and actually it's interesting because you and I had already planned to talk about this. And then just this morning on LinkedIn, I saw a post from Anthony Clervy, who actually heads the team at, at UNA, where the sourcing hero lives. Um, he, he'd shared something about reading the room. You know, and and whether your room is a big conference event or a restaurant or or a conference room with just two other people in it, it's so important to stop and sort of pick up those cues. And what you and I were going to talk about that I think links very closely to this is the idea of knowing your audience. Now, today, our audience are our wonderful procurement, sourcing, and supply chain professionals uh, that are all listening into this show, but an audience can be people on the distribution list for an email. They can be people on a, a Zoom meeting or in a call with you. So audience has all different kinds of meetings. And sometimes an audience is just one person. How do we need to be thinking ahead, if possible, to your last point, so that we're presenting each set of information in such a way that that specific audience will get from it what they need? That's a great question as well, Kelly. I think um, this is something we can all learn, both uh, you know, to 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 enhance uh, how we um, how we work together internally and in our teams, but uh, specifically also on how we 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 engage with our business stakeholders. So what we tend to work on is, you know, obviously understanding personality profiles a little bit more. Some of you might use Myers Briggs or Disc mm -hmm. or other models, but but having that in mind and and knowing that people are not the same and you might have an insight, but the way you have to deliver it to to different audiences really vary quite a lot depending on personality profiles and who's who's sitting in front of you right so so being able to spot the clues of of the people or the person uh, that you're sitting in front of and understanding you know what it takes to influence that kind of personality type is is a really strong uh, capability to learn and it's not easy but uh, but there are quite a few things to do in in, in terms of you know uh, learning what signals different personality types send in terms of how much detail they want, how much uh, insight into the background and, and calculations they need, or if they, if they just need a, a quick and dirty advice, if you will, on, on something. So so being able to spot the clues of different personality types is, is really something to look into uh, in order to, to really target your audience in a better way, I guess. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I, I want to do with you before we wrap today, and, and regular listeners will know that this is our tradition, every guest on the Sourcing Hero podcast is given a pair of questions. Now, Christian, here are the rules of this little game we're about to play. I'm going to give you two questions. You can answer whichever one you like, and there are no wrong answers. So you're absolutely guaranteed to win. Does that sound okay? Sounds like a good game. <laughs> Yes, this is a good game. The The downside is there's no prize, but the good news is you definitely win. So let me give you your, your two options. The first is, what does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you? And then the second option is a little bit broader. How would you define heroism in a business context? 
I think I will go with the slightly broader one, number two. Okay. So if I were to think of heroism in a business context, I think I'll say that to me, heroism in the business context is daring to step out of your comfort zone and then lean in to do the right thing, even if it's not the easy choice. I think that's, that is an excellent point. Stepping out of your comfort zone is something that based on today's conversation, both finance and procurement are being given lots of opportunities to do. Yeah, definitely. So basically the idea that people are, don't just stick to what's easy, you know, it's uh, we all learn from stepping out of our comfort zones. And if we actually want to change things in the businesses we support, we need to lean out. We need to have an opinion. We need to dare to recommend a, a potential way forward and not just stick to our Excel sheet and models, but, but we need to, to take a step forward, lean out, and then dare to, to recommend something to the business and, and have an opinion. And I think that's uh that's uh, that that shows heroism in a business context because it, it shows that you actually care and that you want to take the business from where it is to an even better place. Now, Christian, if people have listened into our conversation today and would like to connect with you, would like to learn more, what is the best way for them to get in touch? I think uh, find me on on LinkedIn um, or Business Partnering Institute on LinkedIn. Um, I'm fairly easy to find in there with the. Uh, articles being written almost weekly and, and posts almost daily. So uh, link up and then follow me on LinkedIn. Then I'll be uh, be sure to share some stuff about uh, business partnering and, and stuff that can also be used by procurement experts. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. You're very welcome. This was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.